Welcome to the Fly Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, and with me today is a uh, guest host, Ted uh, Haycraft. Yeah, it, this, is the, this is the Earth 2, Phase 2 uh, uh, podcast. Today, yeah, so... Um, you, new I, and improved. I don't know if this is a second season episode. I'm leaning towards that, or this is a COVID bonus, but... Uh, so... Basically, the show started out. I had a very specific idea of what. Well, I, you really. I, okay, I'm interrupting, but I'll let you. You see. are interrupting. Yes. Okay. This is a this is a thing that if we keep co-hosting, <laughs> it's going to happen a lot. Um, I um I based mine. I wanted to do a WTF for movies, and um then found basically. I thought. I'd like to go into my Rolodex and get friends to do this, and then it would snowball from there. And to a certain extent, it did. There was also other strategies I had. I got people that I've wanted to talk to forever, but we started to run out of guests, and um, COVID happened. And it's weird because I don't know, like, you're listening at, like, you've noticed this, but podcasts, like, it's weird. The statistics I heard that podcast because people aren't commuting, podcasts aren't as popular, but at the same time, Everyone's stuck at home on Zoom, so everyone's talking to each other on Zoom, so they're recording that format and putting that out in some regard. So in theory, it should be more popular, but it isn't. And also, it just no one knows what the hell to do and who's like, you know, you're com- you're commercially taking advantage of people being home. And a long way of saying, I'm not getting any guests. So. Well, yeah, also, I was going to interrupt with that. I think you originally had, at one point, it was going to be a do. it was going to be the two of us. Right, and then at some point, probably part part of part of my uh, emotional reaction uh, dragging my feet made you think, "Well, I'm just go, I'll just go ahead and plow on, on your own, and I'll occasionally use." Me. I think I think you and I have a good dynamic together, which would be fun. But anyway, my whole point being that in lieu of not having guests, I'm rethinking format right now, and you and I talking since we are socially distanced in my basement right now, yes. but we still have checked in with each other and. Like the one thing that's been true during um, the quarantine is everyone, even though there's not too many new releases and the ones that are just very VOD and niche, um, people are watching so much right now. I, I, I th- this is terrible to say. In, in some ways, I kind of love this. No, this is, I mean, it's terrible to say that. I love the, uh, but I love the, the isolation. Um, no new movies. Uh, I, I know. Because uh, you get to catch up. I'm catching up. I'm just sitting here. My library that's been, you know, staring at me for years and years and saying, you know, watch me, watch me. And then I finally, I'm, you know, I'm sitting down and watching a lot of stuff. And then I, or the, or the luxury of the uh, Bruce Lee box set just came out. The, the Criterion one. I plowed through all seven discs. I went through How every, many movies is that? Uh, there's about five features in that. How what are how are the special features on uh, those discs? Lots of good features. The only thing I haven't done is I had to, now I have to go back and do the commentaries of the features. But there's you know there's there's one two three four there's five Bruce Lee films plus there's Game of Death too, and then there's uh, and there's one feature where they, the film that the Game of Death that he really was originally working on they actually edited they took the footage that was available and put it together as much as they could you know without all the extra uh, crap in the you, Hollywood release. You're not a big uh, cable watcher, so you didn't see that ESPN documentary that. No, I didn't. Yeah, that was just recently. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that. Uh, um, 
Did you? No. I, I mean, la I was the last cultural zeitgeist. I, I have this bizarre anti-dislike um, of what the water cooler stuff now is your Netflix uh, docuseries. So when Tiger King was popular, I was like almost proudly saying I wasn't going to watch that. My argument being you can go on Wikipedia and not spend seven hours watching it. But I did get into The Last Dance with the uh, Jordan documentary. and but I had some people come up talking about the, 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 the miniseries on Grant, General Grant. Did you hear about that? No. <laughs> I don't know where that was on. The History Channel, maybe? So Someone but. telling you that there's a cinematic value to that? Well, no. It was, it was just basically just, uh, just uh, the fact that they I've actually had... They came out of the woodwork to two different people since they watched this thing on the, Grant. The pandemic has really done some interesting stuff to um, elucidate uh, people's viewing habits, especially like the um, cool medium aspects where people are just like, I want something to like not think about at the end of the day and watch before I go to bed. And, mm. and it's weird because all the hot medium aspects of film that like actively engage, those are the things that seem to really have died out in the pandemic and from when I'm talking to people. Like, I just have a lot of friends that are watching shows and no one's watching movies right now. Mm. But that's why you and I are here. Um, this the One movie I watched just last week that was the main thing we're going to talk about today. Because um, I know you you went ahead, you said you went ahead and rewatched really it. But I knew you knew enough about it because you were always the person talking about it. Martin Scorsese's New York, New York. The city they named twice. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I and I cheated on you because you said you wanted me to come. Uh, don't watch it. And I had to watch it again because it, it's been a long time since I watched it. Okay. Uh, well, here's and I had to watch a DVD of it. I don't. I never did. I watched it. a DVD of it too because did you watch the two forty three version? Uh, yes. Uh, which you know, I, I will get. I will talk about that in a minute. We I don't. We talked when we were talking about doing this. We compared covers, and I can't remember what one version I watched. But I had to watch a DVD too. Yes, it's that cover. It's a cover that looks like. How would you describe that? Like a. Um, it's 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 Hirschfeld, Al Hirschfeld. Okay. Right? The cartoonist who, if he has a number by his name, that's how many. Uh, his, his daughter's name was Nina, and there's that that many Ninas in, in the art, artwork to look for. Okay. Yeah, I guess you didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that, nor uh, do I think that. <laughs> that's just, uh, but that's he, a fun he, fact. He did a lot of, uh, he mostly did, uh, he's known for his uh, 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 Broadway uh, posters and Broadway okay. characters. Okay, sure. But he did movies. All right, so but, the, the here's the thing. I've been wanting to rewatch New York, New York for a long time just because I know when we've talked about it in the past, there's always this point that Scorsese is the one person, the one director who is try not to do director's cut try not to do special editions and this is the one exception this is the one that he's had multiple versions of come out you know he will not he will not put out the even though it's universe of new york yeah. everyone loves uh, the, the, gigs. the not, gangs of new york with no voiceover that's like a half hour or 45 minutes longer everyone universally says that's a better movie and you can see as an editor i can see there's in that movie as much as i love gangs of new york there's some weird shortcuts where they cut through it but New York, New York's the only one with multiple versions out of it. And I, as you mentioned, you watched it on DVD. I haven't been able to find it on streaming. Occasionally pops up on TCM, but and it's a long movie, so I knew I was going to have to sit down to watch it. I've basically been wanting to watch it since another movie came out a few years ago. This movie that I can't imagine its reputation has grown, but at the time, after an initial love from people, everyone really turned against this movie. And I love this movie dearly. I rewatch this movie a lot. I still fight for this movie. I really love this movie. And Ted, can you guess it? Because it looks like you can. La La Land? La La Land, <laughs> to me, 
is a version of New York, New York that works. If you don't count the obsession with improvisation, um, that's interesting. And you, you switch to the other side, and you modernize it, obviously. Uh, interesting. Because it's about it's my, a, we got we got my now my wheels are turning because I'm thinking I'm trying I'm comparing Ryan Gosling's character to Nero's character and, and uh, well okay, let, okay. Let, let's go let me first go back to my reaction to this rewatch of New York New York. Um, I first heard of New York New York in Peter Biskin's book Easy Rider Raging Bulls, which very much colored my perception of it to the point. You know, the, there's a, a period of Scorsese that is euphemistically referred to as Cokehead Scorsese. And this book was one of the first places that really pushed that narrative to the point where I can't remember which Apatow movie it is. I want to say it's Funny People, but Jonah Hill makes a joke about coked up Scorsese. He said some, someone looks like coked up Scorsese. <laughs> Jonah Hill, who later got a Best Supporting Actor nomination in a Martin Scorsese movie. Wait, yeah, is that yeah. right? He got, he got it in Moneyball. I don't. He got it for Wolf of Wall Street. So. I, uh, he got it. Well, we are, we are maybe not both. Ex- I don't know. Maybe we are not yeah. experts. Or I am not, yeah. and I put Ted on the spot. Um, <laughs> my point being that um, rewatching again, I thought I'd had the stamina to get through a three-hour Scorsese movie, like having seen Know Where It Goes, and. Um, in the, in the book, Viskin talks a lot about the um, dance hall sequence where De Niro and Minnelli's characters first meet. And, and watching it again, I realized all over again why this movie is a chore and why it was hard to get through. Because the beginning, De Niro's improvisation is some of the most tedious, off-putting introduction to a character I've ever seen. And Biskin's book kind of says that Scorsese was really proud of how much, how good improvisation was. And there's, cert- de- there's certainly an element to where, you know, Scorsese loves Cassavetes, and this is trying to bring Cassavetes to Hollywood style. Well, that's, I got a couple, several things okay. I was going to bring to it. That was one, uh, that was one point I was obviously going to bring. This is, this is Cassavetes clashing into a 40s Hollywood, a Stanley Donen uh, Hollywood musical. Uh, and uh, But it comes out as just like fake sets, really. Well, and, and a little, some sets and are not, some, but some stylized sets are not, wardrobe. There's too. not set. Some of the sets are real faked, and then some of the sets are your typical. They work as a halfway realistic set, you know. And some of the sure. uh, some of the ballrooms and the the cafes, you wouldn't see those are super stylized. But then you got that sequence, you know, out in the trees. The trees distinctly. Or, or the one I thought was really funny, and I think you're supposed to have a real good laugh at it, and it doesn't really work. Is the train. Uh, going away from the station, he actually tries to stop it, and it's a stylized just windows, it's cardboard windows going by. I thought yeah. you were going to go with that uh, the farmhouse one, where like the actual house itself is decent, but then you get the back the like backdrop that like uh, well, is that the same shot with the mud on the, on the yeah. yeah 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 I love that. There's like again, that's a, a, almost like a visual version of Scorsese of of Cassavetes meeting um, Stanley Donen. You got super realistic mud. You know, but then you get the stylized backdrop, and it's just like, boy, that's a weird clash. I, I listened to some of the commentary on it, and I forget who the essayist who di- uh, did it um, on top with Scorsese, but she quoted Pauline Kael calling the movie an honest failure. And I think that is as charitable as you can get I to I think Ebert movie. also is like that, too. I think uh, it, I was, I guess I liked, I think I, I guess I found it more watchable than you did. Well, here's the thing. I, I think after the first 45 minutes, like after I knew what I was getting into, like, yeah, it comes together. And the improv even works a lot better after a certain point. Minnelli's improv, I think, works really well. But De Niro has a specific, in the 70s, 
he has this like uh, when conflict comes to him, it's it's something that's been lampooned in De Niro impressions where he's just like, I'm gonna repeat your repeat what you said and ask a question again. And then I'm gonna do this again and smile to keenly. And when it works like in Taxi Driver, there's always this edge of menace to it. But in something like this, you're just like, he's he's floundering, man. He's just trying to figure something out. He's trying to like make this interesting when it isn't interesting. Or more interesting than it really is. Yeah. Um also, uh, another point I was going to say, this kind of, I don't mean to stomp that thread, but uh, it, this is almost kind of like, uh, I, this is what struck me too, it's, this might not, maybe you won't agree with this, it, it's kind of comparable, this is his, uh, this is his 1941, Scorsese's 1941, because, <laughs> you know, Spielberg's doing Jaws, he does Close Encounters, and then he just, you know. Oh, where he puts his self-parodies into No, it? no, and then he, he does 1941. And it's it's so big and so hyped up, and everybody's expecting it. You know, the second coming, of course, or the creatures are out there with their forks and knives and chop it down, and he falls flat. He you know he falls on his face with 1941, and sort of Marty did that with this New York, New York. He does Mean Streets, and Taxi Driver, and then Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, um, oh, that's in there too. Yeah, so uh, uh, you, you know it's interesting that he really, I mean, uh, going for broke and spilled like Spielberg was in 1941, and then. It maybe it necessarily didn't work. I, most I, I, say I, they didn't work. I know? get that. They're, one of my favorite Pauline Kael reviews of this time was a movie I just only saw last year for the first time, but 1900. She talks a lot about that, like when a uh, a big film artist uh, gets their, you know, has their success and they really want to go go it all. And she uses models like a Griffith going with Intolerance and Coppola with One from the Heart. Uh, no, she she did, is that. I don't think that's the one she used in that because also the, she's writing this when well, when nineteen hundred. Some people would say Apocalypse Now, but I think right, right. Apocalypse Now was successful. But I'm, but I mean, this review yeah. this would have been yeah. a circa. Well, I like, love to do. I, we have another podcast. I would love to do is uh, the directors when they have their the carte blanche. They have they get they get the freedom to do whatever they want to do, and they usually they go off the cliff with it. You know? Yeah, and I think the point of the, uh, Kale's review in nineteen hundred is like Bertolucci comes close to her, which. It's funny because after I saw the movie and I, I kind of kind of agreed with her, like I saw, but I also had problems with the dubbing. And then I started diving in, realizing the dubbing is the re- reason some people find that movie ridiculous. But <laughs> on top of its politics, which like now to me, pristine time difference. But but back to New York, New York. Yeah. And also, it's, this is interesting, too. I was on the way driving on the way over here. I was going to say, you know, I can remember uh, of the Scorsese films I saw in the theater. I can almost remember that every theater I saw, every Scorsese film, I can't remember seeing New York, New York. I don't, or if I did see it in the theater, I don't, I, I don't know where. I think they played East Park, which is now Showplace now. Do you think you saw it once? I, I don't. I, you know, I, I can't with any authority say I saw this in the theater. Do you remember seeing but Mean I, Streets? Uh, no. I, in fact, I don't know. I'd be curious. I, I, I don't even know if he Mean Streets played here. It possible. I have to look. Is this an issue of like Scorsese? Everyone's still hyped for Scorsese at that point, I assume. But like, he still hadn't. He hadn't. No, no, that. yeah, it wasn't. You know, he I, wasn't must and, watch. And Alice, li- if Alice does live here, I'm assuming that played here. But that was because of Scorsese. It was Taxi Driver that really, you know, solidified him yeah. as a as a uh, as a someone to follow. Uh, in, ter- in terms of my generation, I guess. Um, but uh, New York, New York, I can't remember. And here's the weird thing. I'm watching, I, I just watched the DVD on Monday night uh, this, uh, a few nights ago. And uh, I don't remember 
the happy endings. Well, here, it. here's the I'm, other the I'm, other reason I wanted to rewatch it again was uh, Scorsese did that A24 podcast with Joanna Hoag, uh, the director of The Souvenir, and he started talking about New York, New York in there, and in the compromises he did, and that 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 sequence was cut out. Yeah, yeah. And I watch it, and I'm watching it again. I was like, how can you cut that out? Because that's the <laughs> the heart of the movie, and it's funny because. I listened again to the commentary with the essayist, and she kept talking about the the interesting thing about the movie to her was that it was it was um, calling out the artificiality of the genre of the musical, which especially in the '70s after it died out in the '60s and there was all the big budget ones, then it's like that's low hanging fruit. Calling out a musical as a genre that's not real is not is not worth a three hour movie saying that, right? So. I, and of course, this is one I those... need a little sincerity, or I need a little someone like singing the thoughts that uh, that they can't say normally. And um, that sequence, that movie at the end, was also going back to, to my my original thesis of this being the La La Land that works. Once you put that back in, oh my god, it's almost to the point where Damien Chazelle was like modeling La La Land after New York, New York, because. I mean, it's uh, the couple parts. Sorry, spoiler alerts for people who are interested in New York, New York, or La La Land. The couple parts, the um, Liza Minnelli or you know Emma Stone characters become successful actresses in movies, and they become movie stars based off of that. And then we get to see a stylized movie of the way they hope the relationship had worked out. And then the um, male character, the you know. Ryan Gosling or the De Niro has to confront that afterwards in a very bittersweet way. I can't believe nobody's. Yeah, you haven't run across anybody mentioning that comparison. I it's tricky just because people, it's, no one's interested in re- going over La La Land. I or lo- going back to watch New York, New York. <laughs> no, I almost would be willing to think people give more uh, gravitas to New York, New York at this point. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's really curious. Uh, uh, the more I think about it, like I said, I mean, now you've got my head spinning around on that analysis of those two films. Uh, but it just La La Land for me works more just because it embraced the idea of, like this needs to be an expression of emotions these characters can't normally express. But yeah, and, and not that this really you know if anybody's listening to us uh, chatter on, I, not that they really care, but I I just thought that. Uh, I I, don't, I I had to see the film without the happy endings. I I don't know how I saw it. Either I saw it in the theater or maybe on Cinemax HBO, the early days when HBO had... Uh, I think... And, I, I tried to look it up on IMDb. I think there's three different versions. And they did an extension one while it was in its theatrical run, but I don't know if they put this sequence in. Scorsese in that podcast mentioned yeah. this is the thing he took out and he regrets taking out. And people have told him since then that this makes the movie putting that back in even though it puts it nearer to three hours and of course the, you know it's it's what's amazing about that sequence the happy uh, endings is uh uh that's where it really just kicks into just full stanley Dolan and gene kelly mode yeah um and and, uh, and, and in fact uh, is an american paris one of the musicals that makes me think of the, the opera the mini opera at the end mm. where you just it just full out flat we're just gonna go here you know and and have fun here and then then it jumps back of course you know the new york new york is one of those musicals to is it's not the typical musical where people would all of a sudden are just breaking the reality and all of a sudden there's a, an orchestra playing and they're singing songs in the middle uh, when they were talking like normal people right you know before they talk everything's the, the sets are stylized but 
all the musical numbers are realistically worked into the narrative. I guess, I guess the question is, what's the benefit of that? Is it just a, dis- well, a display of the music? I don't know. That's an interesting game because I know, you know, some people that just can't stand the the reality break. Yeah, that, and then what's what, I, odd to me is I used to be that person. Yeah. Last night, uh, my uh, ma, uh, stepmom and dad came over, and we were trying to pick movies to watch, and we almost watched uh, Yankee Doodle da- Dandy. And my dad went off like, I don't want to watch people dance. Yeah. And then um, well, I think Yankee Doodle Dandy is that? No, it is kind of out there in some, but some other. There's like there's I, some, I, some, I've, I've some, and then there's like ones that are mixtures. I mean, it's it's like any genre. There's so many variations. I didn't. Uh, I personally didn't fall in love with musicals until I discovered musicals that were about characters expressing themselves. Uh-huh. Like, um, I think one of my I, I'm, God, I'm so sorry to say this. Like one of my favorites, uh, first ones that I really like. Okay, this is a because I I grew up on the uh, Disney Mankin, um, <laughs> uh, Broadway musical. <laughs> yeah, it was a form of the Broadway musical where like the songs didn't aesthetically please to me. Um, they they seem like they were showstoppers in the bad way where they cut, cut the momentum yeah. and the, the 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 songs had no edges to them and I just was I used to say when I was a film snob early on I used to say I love every genre except musicals wow and then the one that really got me was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode <laughs> on top of maybe with with Dancer in the Dark too a little right bit. and then you know uh, 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 as our friend Eric Braysmith teaches in his class and stuff and I came to realize that you know directors. Some boys love musicals for the very fact that you can break in reality, and then you can just go. You can do anything you want. You can go crazy and have have, have tons of fun. But then, and, but so, but that like I said, it, it depends if the audience is going to go with you or not. You know. I, I guess then. Well, actually, you're answering my question. I was going. What's the logic of that? Like late '60s, '70s, like not trying to like be stylized or be really expressive like, like yeah it, like was let's see i was thinking, like sound of music is an interesting mix she's she's uh, i mean it feels like there was a period where like they were just trying to get uh broadway shows and make them cinematic yeah well that's always been the case uh, i mean as, i mean uh as but then you get the original ones like uh Singing in the rain. Uh, that. Well, I just I was listening to John Landis talk the other day about uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and he was just like, "It's not a good movie, but it's a great filming of the show, <laughs> of a yeah. great show." Yeah, and he, he described a few musicals that way too. Actually. And then how do you know? How do you explain the phenomenon of Hamilton? Uh, uh, oh, uh, did you watch it? Yeah, I did see it. What did you think? What did you think? Well, yeah, it lives up to the hype. It's uh, it really does, doesn't I, it? I had we I had to put. Being old, and I had to put the closed captioning on. I and, and, I am the exact same way. I, I felt I was, so white. And I watched it with my sister, and I was like totally rigid, and I didn't move at all. It just stayed, you know. Well. I have it on Letterbox right now as my number one movie, even though I know it's just a filming of a performance. Yeah. Because it's it's, it, I I I was I was late to the game, not for lack of trying. Like I when I, I was I in New York, I think they did an interesting job too. Had their their editing choices, yeah, and camera was, choices. It, they it wasn't uh they, they they I think they laid back. I don't I don't think I don't think they I think they could have, art, I think they could have artistically pushed it much I, more. I, I, I see what you're saying. And they they, uh, they 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 kind of let it breathe a little bit. I thought. And, and made as a performance, and yeah. Well, what's, what I was about to say was I was in New York right about the time they filmed this or a little before they filmed this and I was I put my name into the Lam- the Hamilton lottery every day and failed so. <laughs> well, that's another, and there's another version of musicals it's it's modern music and it's not as there's no dialogue I mean there's no it's it's all songs back to you know wall-to-wall song uh, which is a different 
for him too, you know. Yeah. Um, I love the little nods. I love that there was a little nod in 1776 when they said, sit down, John. That's one of the songs uh, in I did not catch that. It's funny because I brought up 1776 whenever talking to friends about and, this. And then, uh, and then right off the bat, they, they talk about uh, Sam Adams' beard. I don't think Sam Adams' beard existed back then, but the real Samuel Adams was active. He was a founding father, revolutionary. So uh, his beer or beard? Beer, beer. The, the Sam, yeah. Sam, uh, they mentioned that let's have a couple of Sam Adams, I think, in the beginning. And uh, okay, I and I, I think did the, I don't, did the beer exist in seventeen hundreds? What is Samuel Adams beer? Hmm. Um, um, anyway, we're gonna bring off the chat. We should <laughs> ask my nieces; <laughs> they will fill us in on this. Um, but let's get back real briefly to uh, New York, I guess New going York. down to New York, New York. Yeah, it's it's such a strange. Um, I, I, I have to say it, it, it works, but it doesn't work. It, it's just, if you could, uh, I think you could, I think it stays fascinating, but at the end of the day, you just don't feel, uh, uh, satisfied. It, like it, it didn't, um, I don't know. It's what, a what, very strange, uh, you know, phenomenon. I, the one thing I found almost exclusively working for me was Minnelli and De Niro not working. Like, that was what bugged me so much. And some of this is a modern lens looking at sexual dynamics and, like, you know, De Niro is just being De Niro where he's just like, shut up, don't talk. And, you know, and and Minnelli's not doing the stuttering, repeating stuff. She's actually got – she improvises some witty lines here and there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I was just hoping you would, like, you to be, be, tell me what I'm missing because it, work, no, it no, works I, after a certain point. There's certain elements that do work with. Yeah, me. I think it's something we're on the same page basically. I think I don't have a, I don't have a key to unlock it for you. Um, the uh, some interesting little tidbits is, uh, of course, you got Dick Miller showing up, and it's always nice to see uh, Dick Miller in a in a big A production. He um, was he uh, the um, first jazz club owner. Yeah, the first one. You okay. know, and she start, and she and then she does. You go give me some more Chevalier. And then she launches into a Chevalier song. Doesn't Dick Miller have a lot more hair in this? Is that was that one I was noticing? He might have a hairpiece on him. That okay. probably at the time. Uh, Lionel Stander getting such a he's third build. He's third third build, and he's only he's Eliza's agent, the big giant uh, uh, buff guy. Uh, okay, he was blacklisted. And he's in Once Upon a Time in the West. He's the bartender in the then the, the, the bar. Do you have any insight to uh, Scorsese's casting choices beyond Minnelli and De Niro? Well, because Minnelli hadn't done a, a movie, I think, since Cabaret before this. Yeah, but were, this is were they this is when they were dating. I, I think mean, so. Well, before, after, or when? I I'm going off of Easy Rider, Raging Bulls, which I, I mean, as entertaining as that book is, the um, uh, research there is tenuous to say the gospel very gossipy and very reachy but they talked about um scorsese was married at the time to julia cameron and um was having an affair with minnelli according to the book (laughs) but uh yeah uh but that lionel stander it's really interesting it's like uh he almost like i almost feel like he got the special billing just because of his uh history of being blacklisted and and to to scorsese that's important film history of course as we know um Oh, and you caught the little reference. Uh, De Niro says, uh, my name's Mr. M. Powell. Oh, Michael I did. Powell. That was the fake name he gave to yeah. the hotel guy. Of uh, which Powell. I wouldn't have caught back the original back then when I first saw it. I probably would never have caught that now. You know, you, know, you, got, you catch it now. Uh, Clarence Clemens. And so uh, in it, uh, it's so funny, this, the, uh, Sp- uh, Sp- Springsteen's uh, sax player, but he's playing trumpet in this Real? film. Oh, I did not catch and, that. And De Niro's uh, the sax player. 
So that was really that. How much? How much research or um? How much of uh, learning did De Niro actually do for the part? Because I mean, he, he does look convincing. In this. He looks I'll pretty good. Yeah, in fact, he looks convincing. Because did you notice the drummer in the in the big the band that he's playing in? He's the guy in the Stephen Prince documentary that when Stephen Prince walks in and wrestles that guy uh, in the house. No, well, uh, I, I, he's I, the one in the Mean Street. Goes, you call me a mook? I'm a mook. Well, that's the drum. He's a drummer. Wait, the, the Mook line is in Meat. Oh wait, yeah, it's in Meat Street. Yeah, yeah well, I remember that. That's line. the. I, I don't know. I, I look like he's one of Scorsese's buddies because I don't know where his career was before or after all these uh, several Scorsese films, and he kind of doesn't play drums that convincing. Uh, I, fact, I did note the drummer wasn't that convincing, but I didn't. Uh, 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 Why well, I just watched the Stephen Prince short uh, documentary because that's so the score because the Criterion just yeah came the Criterion out. just came out. But uh, what's really interesting, I, 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 the one thing we really should somebody really needs to wrestle with and, and investigate Earl Mac Roush. Wait, what? Earl Mac Roush, the screenplay, the story. Who, no, there was an original script that someone took. No, well, the fact that this is the Meredith Martin rewrote. Well, Mar uh, what's his Scorsese's buddy helped right. work on the screenplay. He's written a bunch Credit, of stuff. Credit stories by Earl McRoush, screenplay by Earl McRoush, and what's his name? Uh, Meredith Martin, but who just passed away just not too long ago. Uh, Earl McRoush, Macru Bonsai. Uh, that's Earl McRoush's baby, Adventures of Macru Bonsai. Oh, uh, wait. Do you want to do you want to talk about this? No, I'm just I'm just saying how it's so funny to. Uh, he here's uh, this guy. I, he, the big deal they make in Easy Rider Raging Bull is that they didn't have an ending. So, yeah. with, but and the thing is, it's always whenever they talk about movies going into production without an ending, supposedly the assumption is that they have no ending. What it is is they have a few rejected endings that the people in charge don't feel is right. But there's obviously an original screenplay that. Like, Scorsese threw it out. I was like, let's well, going to improvise as much as we need to do, and we'll figure it out. No, I'm just I, I'm more, I, I guess I'm getting at is the history of this. Aramak Roush is kind of like, like, uh, uh, like Shane Black. Uh, these these screenwriters that have these, they're, they're kind of a mystery. And they have these kind of, uh, where they, uh, what they, how they live, and they're eccentric, and you know, Charlie Kaufman type stuff. Uh, he, you think he's that level? I, just who never oh, had yeah, a fully, yeah, yeah, he yeah, never but, had a fully realized script. Well, no, no. I'm just thinking. You know, how, how what exactly was the story, and what? How did him? How did he get into Scorsese's circle, or vice versa? Uh, and it's interesting too. And this is real trivia because of the Buckaroo Banzai connection. Is uh, the the guy who hires Manelli? Uh, uh, she he, uh, the guy uh, the agent the for Decca Records that the agent brings you to the table and he. And De Niro goes, got a cigarette. And, you know, they do all the drinking and the buy the vodka. Right, and all right. The... His name, you know, that's that's uh, Leonard Gaines. He's, he has a, he doesn't have a big film career. He's very distinctive, and he plays his character's name is Artie Kirks or Kurtz. Well, in Buc he shows up in Bucko Ronzi playing a character called Artie. Well, his first name's Artie. Wait, he, he, the same actor. Plays... Same actor. It's kind of same shtick. He's the one where Buckaroo Banzai and the group go into a bar to play rock and roll music, and he's the owner of the bar. Mm. So, okay. and, and they're both called Artie. So, you know, it's it just, I know that's real true. Do you know what other credits he has? Yeah, there was like not much more than one or two others. It's really, like I said, it's real. Mis and he's got he's got one or two books that he's written. Well, I mean, there's also the I mean, it's the misbegotten uh, careers of the screenwriters. The screenwriter is the most ab abused person in Hollywood and just like. You know, they, they'll write a script that they feel is a fully formed... Like, D David Thompson very famously talks about um, 
Robert Towns' ideas for the Chinatown trilogy and all the ideas he had for the third one and how the minute he sold the script, which, I mean, was, you know, before it was written, he sold the script, he gave up the idea of having being the chief author of that. Well, we, but the, since Robert Towns such in high-profile films, and we seem to know more about him and, so, and get to hear more stories about him, but the, Earl McRoush, to me, is, is kind of a mystery. I mean, and the fact that he goes, here he is, he, here he is involved with New York, New York, and then, you know, almost, what, 10 years later, Bugger Banzai, that's about it, you know. Uh, it's a very strange uh, career. Uh, and I, you know, I've heard, uh, and I've, I've heard he's very eccentric, uh, very interesting character. I think you know what I have a list, and I think maybe that would should be another future podcast of um, semi-literary uh, screenwriters from the late seventies and eighties who never had a script completely go to screen. To screen you know, like um, uh, Milius would be one who did have some scripts go to screen, but all of his got rewritten. I mean, George Roy Bean uh, being like notably the famous one of that, but you had few more notes left. Oh, yeah. How about this? Did you, what, did you think, what did you make of the couple of scenes uh, where there's dialogue going on, but we don't get to hear it? There's like at least two sequences. One where he goes off and makes the phone call uh, uh, talk, after talking to Artie, the, the, the uh, actor we were just talking about. He goes down the hall, and he's on the phone, and he's talking, 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 talking. I think, I'm trying to remember what was said during them, but I vaguely remember this montage like, we just need to get this, the story moving forward. And that's right, and that's when Manelli starts to drink, and, and she's really, and she's she's got the, you know, she just signed the contract. Did the affair happen in one of those sequences, or the Well, the affair's already happened. Uh, I mean, she's, in fact, in fact, the old band's playing at, the, at this, at this uh, scene. And then the, earlier on, there's another scene with her and, and, and Liza, De Niro and Liza talking, and the music's just playing. They drown out the, their dialogue. And I, it's a really interesting effect. And, and I guess what, I just thought it was all a montage thing. Uh, no, no, it wasn't montage It was more of us just sitting, the camera just sitting there, and it was like, okay. Uh, this, this gets to us. Uh, watch this movie. Okay, I've gone on a few Scorsese rants on the show. And, it's, and again, I, I feel bad because it's like, look, you know, it's why we can't have good things if me complaining about Martin Scorsese. There's this quote Scorsese supposedly told to David Fincher that, a director's flaws are equally as a part of their style as what they're good at, right? And Scorsese, I really noticed in this movie, especially listening to the beginning of the commentary, he talked about his influence, what he wanted to do with it. I feel like Scorsese has this thing. It comes in movies like um, In Silence, um, not so much in Last Temptation, but what I remember of Kundun, um, where he finds this over-elaborate stylistic reason to not be stylized to be plain and boring in certain things and so like and a lot of it is he he puts too much emphasis on the content of a frame that it that inside the the dramatics inside the frame that's not happening and hmm. like the story itself is not happening he wants to present the story as it as it in and of itself i mean maybe that maybe that's, that's another scene that maybe that ties into what you're saying there's a sequence where she's uh working off a scrapbook a photo off scrapbook it's just she's sitting in her apartment, and she's looking at these photographs that we really don't get a good glimpse of. And she's putting them in a scrapbook, cuts to a close-up of her eyes, and then it goes to another scene. I did, yeah. And, that's and I'm like, what happened there? It was almost like something. Well, was, but even that, there was a little bit of stylization with that. There was yeah. like I got a little bit, just a tiny bit of authorial intention, just a little bit need. Like, and I mean, I 
look, in theory, I'm saying something that we want directors to do. We want directors to, like, be plain. We want them to, like, let the story play out between two people on screen and let the drama between them be self-evident <laughs> in as plain and simple way as possible. In theory, that's what we want of our filmmakers. But I'm trying to think of what Scorsese movie works when he holds back. The movies we love of his are the ones where he goes off. I think the closest you can say that, like, okay, he went off a lot and there maybe wasn't much there is Bringing Out the Dead, which is a very fun movie well, to That's watch. very stylized, I thought. Age of Innocence? No, uh, I was going to say that's a stylized and that probably he's overcompensating yeah. stylized. That's what I mean. Age of Innocence is another example of a movie. Like, I know people love that movie. I find it cold. I mean... And I'm, maybe I'm the outlier here. Well, I think I am the outlier here, actually. It's part of the uh, aesthetic, I think, is the coldness of the... the well, it's almost like he, f he picks a project to find an excuse to be, like... Because uh, I remember thinking, giving this vibe, having, have, like, in Scorsese's book, uh, Personal Journey Through American Movies, which also has that really cool um, video, which you were, you were recently going through. Oh, I watch it all the time. <laughs> the last uh, uh, American movie he talks about there is Barry Lyndon, and he's very astute about why Barry Lyndon works, too. And that's, I felt Age of Innocence was him trying to do Barry Lyndon. His, yeah, what true. He, what he liked about Barry Lyndon. Um, but you're right about stylistics. I remember I'm a, in high school, and I see Taxi Driver, and when the uh, De Niro's on the phone calling Sybil Shepherd trying to get back in her graces. And the camera pans off to the hallway. And I'm like, I remember as a, as, you know, I'm just, I, I'm not anywhere being, uh, anywhere near being You got crazy. it right I'm away. No, I didn't. Uh, I'm like, I, I'm like, why is the camera? But that's what made me, you know, go crazy about that film. Somewise, I was like, why are he, why is he doing this? You know, I didn't want to understand it. Uh, why, why would the camera do that? Uh, it took me, you know, I finally, you know, heard why he, because uh, because the movie is too, it felt too painful to watch. Yeah, go yeah, through this. yeah, right. But uh, I, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, you're, it's interesting that I'm just trying to think of uh, when Alice uh, doesn't live here anymore. That's kind of, is that plain? Um, even though that opening is kind yeah, of weird. Yeah, I mean, the like, beginning seems to be very. Uh, I should also admit, I've never seen Alice uh, doesn't live here all the way through. Yeah, um, I and I I remember. Kundun's it seems to have, I, I, a momentum to it as a. I have yeah, that's the one like I haven't seen it forever, and I'm wondering if that's an exception. But like I remember making myself get through it when I saw mm, it because, uh, but at the same time, it's a very ponderous movie, and that's maybe part of the point too. Yeah, Eye of the Beholder. I th I, th I just watched I watched the Blu-ray not too long ago, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I just it. heard the other day. Um, um, Roger Deakins say that was the best movie he made that no one's ever no one saw him. It's off pretty. Of. It's it's a pretty. Uh, I think it's a very fascinating movie and it has has a uh, uh, stereotypical moment, a Scorsese momentum that you gets gets you got caught up in. But yeah, New York, New York is it's so funny. It's just a uh, uh, it's it sounds so bad to say it's a failed experiment, and it's interesting in the intro. There's a, a, a shot an intro for the DVD release. I watched that too. Yeah. He says, uh, "I guess I, did it work? I don't know. I I, I can't say, but it, did it work? I don't know. I did it did it work? And uh, I don't think it worked. Maybe I don't. hundred percent, it didn't work. But it's, it was obviously it's very interesting. He talks in the American Journey through American film. He talks. There's a Doris Day musical he references and shows a clip from where there's dark elements creeping into the musical. 
And I think he also was trying to go for that, too. Well, it says a lot that you can't remember the name of the Doris Day music. Well, yeah. You, you well, I'm not up with my Doris Day films. I, 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 but I've, ever since ever since he showed that clip, I wanted to see it. Okay. I do want to see it. I was, I was going to say that um, you know Spielberg's been chomping at the bit to make his musical, and he's finally making one. But Scorsese, basically, if you don't count the bad video, Michael Jackson bad video, I, he hasn't made a musical since then? No. That's true. I heard, I heard he... Chrissy, I hear he always wants to make a western, and that's a possibility still. Maybe. Oh. Well, the 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 uh, what's the new book he's doing? The new movie he's doing with De Niro and DiCaprio. The, oh uh, yeah. Ki the Killing of the Flowers. The that book about the Indian tribe and in, um, the American Indian tribe in uh, Oklahoma. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. At that. Well, um, I originally wanted to keep this to 20 minutes, and we were past 40, so I think that's... Did you have any more notes you wanted to say, Ted? I'd... Not really. Um, uh, I'd like a little shout-out to Paducah, Kentucky in it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> there was that. Uh, we're living in Evansville, Indiana, so Paducah, Kentucky is in our backyard. Anything provincial right now. Um, we can't go that also far. Also, I thought right. it was interesting. One other thing that was interesting, um, the... The it's just it's just on the peripheral and it's just a little bit outside this narrative, but uh, the fact that the big band era is coming to an end, and the and and uh, jazz is coming on and you know out there, and he doesn't show it but you rock and roll is about you know is starting to happen. That I will admit that is the big thing that is clearly um, a preoccupation of this movie that I just didn't jump jump for but it's something that probably just isn't in my, in my wheelhouse and it's something i can't i wasn't appreciating but it's something this movie's trying to do mm. yep but it's still i i i think there's i don't know if any martin scorsese film even the ones that didn't work or fall flat still to me are worth watching so i for you out there that haven't seen it see it uh don't let us uh, and see if you agree or disagree with us well i want to say a big thesis of both you and i when we're talking about movies uh we are rarely going to tell people don't watch this movie yeah true we the that if anything i agree go watch i go watch new york new york um so i guess that's it for this episode this new format episode of five phenomena we'll see if this keeps going or not Goodbye. Goodbye.